Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on? You know, I'm just trying to do my thing. I've been trying to to get some representation. You know, I, we decla- we declared a few episodes ago that I'm the franchise player, right? Yeah, you're the head coach, and that was a different episode. And I don't want to be <laughs> I don't want to be that head coach, buddy. Um, so, but you know, recently um, you've been so demanding with your rock star stuff and your yes, tour bus yes. and th- getting in the top 100 really went to your head, but we did determine that I'm the franchise player. So I, I thought we'd bring in an expert today that understood what it's like to actually own a sports franchise and perhaps represent someone who plays for one. So oh. with, with us today, I've got Tyler Proch now, who's currently the CEO of Subscription Inc. Hello, Tyler. Good afternoon, gentlemen. So, um, I'm hoping by the end of this show that you will have definitely signed me to a contract. I'm looking for like one of those lifetime deals. I'm thinking like what, 50, so you're a free agent on me now, 50, 60 million a year. Are you moving on? We, we got you covered. We yeah. got good. Well, you don't want to sign us. We don't make any money. doing <laughs> this. this is like a really bad deal. And since but, the agent gets a cut of whatever his uh, client earns. Yeah. yeah. If you're yeah, not I, earning, we, we might not have a whole lot to talk about. 50 to 60 million sounds good. Yeah. Per I year. Can take that. Yeah. Per year. Um, but as far as uh, repping us at the podcast, maybe not a good deal. Did you just headbutt the mic? Mike, uh, Mike? Wearing a hat today. Oh, yeah. a little different. It's looking good though. Um, so anyway, Tyler, you have an interesting story. You have owned a sports franchise. I have. I and, and we're also a sports agent. Yep. Um, yep. That makes you the only person I know that's done either. <laughs> but, so I think that let's get started with a little bit of the background uh, and we can get in more into the actual team and whatever. But you owned the Arena Football League team here in Kansas City, right? The Kansas City Brigade. Yep. Okay. And that was when? started the, uh, We started the process in 2004 trying to acquire the franchise. It was an expansion team. Uh, we got the piece of paper approval done in uh, March of 2006 to play our first season in Janu- starting January of 2008. The league told us that we would need probably 16 to 18 months to, uh, to put your organization together. Like I said, when we got that approval, all we had was there were two of us and we had a piece of paper saying, welcome to the league. Welcome to the league. You know, that was it. And, and recently, we had an episode where Steve Fouch, who owns Hy-Vee Arena, uh, came in and talked about buying the place for a dollar. But you played and your team played its first inaugural season in Kemper Arena, which then became Hy-Vee Arena, right? We did, yes. Yep. So that was an interesting thing, too, trying to negotiate a one-year deal to play in one arena and negotiate another deal to play a year later in a different arena. That was a real challenge. I'm not open to a one-year deal, guys. Like <laughs> lifetime contracts only. But Okay, so, man, why on earth were you ever like, hey, man, I think I want to buy a sports franchise? It sounds like it's complicated, risky, and probably expensive. Uh, all of the above, but it was also the absolute bucket list of my life. That okay. was the, if, if you ever asked what would be the most fulfilling thing in my life, um, that owning a sports franchise is it. I grew up, uh, in Georgia, but believe it or not, I actually was a hockey player. 
Uh, and Georgia. Kid. Yep, I know. Crazy to uh, George, George is a hotbed. It is. Hockey a lot of number I mean, one actually, athletes. Georgia, like in in Eastern Europe. Yes. I think is actually where a lot of hockey players. <laughs> they, they've definitely put more players in the league than Atlanta has. Sure. No, no doubt yeah. about that. But uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in that. One of the most, literally the most profound uh, moments of my life was the 1980 Olympic hockey team. It, uh, it was something to watch an entire country come together and have this moment where we weren't East coast, West coast Southerners or anything. We were all Americans cheering for this hockey team. And I just kind of thought at that point, I was like, if anything can bring people together like that and create that kind of enthusiasm and support, that's pretty well worth doing in my life. So. Sounds like last week with the World Cup. Yeah, True. same True. thing. Yeah, absolutely same thing. Do you yeah. know what he's talking about with the yeah, Olympics? No. Yeah. yeah, I remember. Yeah. And for those of our listeners, I, mean, I was that, born in '81. I know that's yeah. why I, I asked. do remember. I was only five. Oh, yeah. yeah, we know the story. Uh, here so, we go. Now I get to feel old again. Okay, but so you were a sports agent before the franchise, right? Yes. Correct. Okay, so w- let's talk about that for a second. The um, interesting career choice, but uh, I believe you were practicing law. So I was a lawyer uh, here in Kansas City and uh, made partner a year earlier than I had expected to. Uh, so 5.30 on a Wednesday night, I get a call to the managing partner's office, which is never a good thing when you're an associate. That is uh, all kinds of bad. So I had expected to uh, to have a pretty uh, unhappy Wednesday evening and Managing partner says at 5.30, congratulations, uh, you've been voted partner at the firm. And at 6 o'clock, I quit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's really smart. Um, and, and it went over real big at home for a little while, too. Uh, my that's, wife. That's possibly the way the rest of my day is going to go. So. Uh, you know, it could be. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I didn't really have any great idea of what I did. I actually loved the firm I worked for. I loved what I did for a living at that point in my life. I just knew if I crossed that bridge, I would never leave because uh, it would just be too easy. And and I had this panic moment and said, I got to try something different. And I, I practiced uh, marketing and advertising law. And the last big project I worked on, I represented the video production company that shot the very first George Foreman infomercial for his grill. Nice. And so- That's who we need to get on here. Yeah. We, and you're going to help us with that. I will help you with George. Absolutely. George is one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet in your entire life. That actually would be a really awesome episode. And then we could demonstrate the George Foreman grill live on the podcast. <laughs> there you go. That's what every podcast needs it's, as it, a visual demonstration of anything. It's still one of the greatest products of all time. I mean, it is a yeah, as fantastic, far as marketing and yeah, but it actually performs. I mean, we sold a lot of them, but we sold a lot of second, third, and fourth grills to people because it really was a good product. It was not your schlocky infomercial type of joke product. It worked and it worked well. People loved that product. Um, you know, another thing I'm realizing is Tyler definitely has a voice for radio. Yeah, he does. <laughs> like, he does. I mean, you're up there. You should we put him in the Hall of Fame with yeah. Bob Fesco and Joe oh, Wow. I am very yeah, I honored. Just, I, it, it, now, Bob's still, Bob just, Bob sounds like Mickey Mouse. And then you turn on the mic and he's like, Bob Fesco here yeah. with 610. <laughs> but yeah. So well, can, well anyway. good. I'm glad. I'm glad to be in that good company. So I'm going to try to sign you as your agent for Perfect. your future radio contract. So, all right. So, so here's the, so Foreman, so we're out there shooting the infomercial over a three day period and Foreman is there all by himself. And so I got to talking to him uh, over the course of those three days. And at one point, we we're having lunch. I said, hey, where are your people? You know, my clients are really smart business people here, but they hired me to do this deal. Where's your agent? Where's your lawyer? And he said, 
when I hung up my gloves, because as we talked about earlier, your agent gets a percentage of what your client earns, said when I hung up my gloves and I wasn't earning anything, my agent moved on. He went and hired a younger fighter. He went and represented younger fighters who were earning money at that point. Now, if I needed him, he may have been available to me when, uh, when I called, but you know, basically he dumped me. I was done. And so the whole way back from California, I was thinking about that on the airplane and I thought that just can't be right. That does, especially a guy like Foreman, who still was a name and had earned a lot of money, obviously over the course of his boxing career. And, and so I started calling around and checking with some friends who knew other athletes and some people who I knew who were ex-athletes and found that to be the case, not just in boxing, but basically across the board in sports was that when you were done with your playing career, your agent was pretty much done with you at, at that time. So this was 2002. And, uh, at the time I thought, well, that sounds like a pretty good way to maybe make a living. And so when I quit the practice of law, I started a company representing recently retired athletes to do their marketing and endorsement work. Interesting. And that wasn't what I was expecting. Yep. So, so and did George Foreman did become a client? Actually, George did not become okay. a client. I had a conflict of interest with him from this previous uh, deal, but he, George actually did help us with some other clients uh, that he knew, but we got, uh, we had a couple of people we knew and our third client uh, was Deion Sanders. Nice. And oh, that, wow. That yeah. basically put us on the map from yeah. that point on. And and the reason we were able to get to Dion was because he had obviously uh, had a great football career. He'd had a great endorsement career, but he had always smiled and sold somebody else's products. And he saw what Foreman had done at this right. point, And he wanted to create his own line and his own brand around his name as opposed to selling Coke or Pepsi or Gatorade or whatever else. And so we created a line of primetime products for Dion that we sold in retail, infomercial, anywhere online. You know, those are the early days of internet commerce. So anywhere we could sell a product uh, with his name attached to it, we did it. And it took off and exploded. And so once we got Dion as a client, we had the answer to who else do you represent? And off it went. We went from zero to 60 clients in about nine months. Wow. That's pretty big. Yeah. So that's got to be kind of challenging and, you know, we don't have to spend too much time on it. But um, so recently we've had uh, the, well, Chris from the athletes, the sports athlete network, was that? I probably messed that up, but we're talking about, you know, that, that they help at former college athletes do mm-hmm. a lot of that. Cause you know, what do you do now? And like, there's, there's a lot of uh, value that you have sometimes within like niche circles, you know, like my dad's like a huge Notre Dame football fan and you know, most of these dudes aren't in the NFL, but they're still huge and hugely known in, in their little circles. So that's pretty interesting. Um, so, well, clearly you don't, you don't still do that now. do you? We, we do not. So, so in the course of that business, we, uh, we had a client who was, at, so we had all these ex players and, and we were getting them just as they were retiring and they would all say, all right, you guys are doing a great job for me. Hey, I've got a buddy who's still in the league. So I went and got my NFL Players Association agent's license and then ended up representing players in the league on top of just doing the marketing and endorsement stuff. We had a player who was in the league who was very sharp and had always, you know, it's, it's the uh, exception, not the rule, unfortunately, but he took care of his money did not spend every nickel he got from his playing contract and was always worried about what he was going to do once he retired. And as he was retiring, 
he got an opportunity to invest in the Arena Football League team in Orlando, Florida, which is where he was from. And so he just asked us to do due diligence for him and decide whether it was a good idea. Was this something that uh, that made sense for him to do once he hung up his cleats? And as we started looking into that opportunity for him and what the Arena League was saying to its fan base and trying to be in this country, it just kept screaming to me what I had always heard people talk about Kansas City and specifically what people talked about Kansas City in 85 with the Royals. And, and the Royals heydays of the 80s yeah. at that time, which was it was fan friendly. The players lived in the community and were accessible and around and you saw them and you knew them and they were part of the fabric of what that community was about. And it was more fan centric at the time. And so we went to New York to meet with the commissioner of the league on behalf of our client. And what was that league called? I mean, it was, I know it was it was just the Arena Football The Arena league. Football League. Yep. It still exists today under that same name. But the uh, the commissioner of the league, who was one of the greatest people I've ever met in my life, he is just a, a fantastic human being, a guy by the name of David Baker, who's now the executive director of the NFL Hall of Fame. Okay. Um, but he, he is also one of the biggest men I've ever met in my life. He's 6'9", and as he put it, a few Twinkies short of 400 pounds. Hang He's on enormous. one second. Matt, you ready for your challenge? Yeah. 1,000 supreme dollars if you can tell me where the NFL Football Hall of Fame is. Canton. Boom. Good job. You're rich, dude. Nice. Right. Get yes. t- t- you owe Tyler uh, 15% <laughs> of that. Luck you pay me. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can tell your agent that because he gets a cut of that. <laughs> oh, right? no. You no. signed the deal, bro. That's it. You signed the deal. So, okay. So, all right. So, in the pro- that's an, it's an interesting story because through the process of doing due diligence for a client, you basically may, may have gotten paid to actually learn how to open or why you wanted to open a, a team yourself. I mean, yeah, we actually didn't get paid for that piece. I mean, we were just doing it because he was a good client and we were trying to be good partners with him on this. But yes, I mean, essentially my business, my one business opportunity led me to another one. And so when we talked to the commissioner for, uh, for Ryan, it was, uh, you know, I asked the dumb question. How come Kansas City doesn't have a team? It just seems like a natural. It's all about football in this town. We don't have winter sports. We have a new arena that's about to be built in downtown. So that was the, also- that was the year before the Sprint Center, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so it just it was it just seemed like a natural fit to me. And the the commissioner at the time, you know, put his arm around me and he said, "Because we've been waiting for a guy like you." Uh, I, I, I know no. what I'm now, now. Was that like a hey sucker? Yeah, it is absolutely. Okay. I know what I'm getting played, and uh, and so I. Laughed. I feel like that every time we record this podcast. Yep. <laughs> and and but again, on a flight home. So on the flight back from New York, I kept thinking about this, and so I was like, "Well, you know what." I'm a moron. Nobody will ever let me buy a football team. Nobody will ever let me put my name. And at the time, the Arena League was really a subset of the NFL. So Jerry Jones, who owns the Dallas Cowboys, owned the Dallas team in it. Arthur Blank, who is the founder yeah. of Home Depot, uh, owned the Falcons, Falcons right, yeah. and he owned the Atlanta Arena football franchise. John Bon Jovi owned the Philadelphia franchise. True. John Elway owned the Denver franchise. Boo. I mean, it was Sorry. all these, you know, all these pretty impressive, very smart people. I'm thinking, well, that's, I could do worse than spending some time around people or, like this. Or it's a lot of people that had money to lose. <laughs> well, that too. So, that too. so wait a minute, wait a minute. We have to take a pause here. So, sure. so, you know, John Bon Jovi? 
I have met him on several occasions. That's yes. all I needed to know. Yep. And, and actually, I, I don't even know why I find that useful. But once again, you're setting a lot of firsts for us, Tyler. You are the only person I know that knows my name. And, and I'm a hero because I introduced my wife to him. Oh, so wow. that's a... Uh, Isn't and, he like five feet tall? Yeah, he's pretty short. Okay. Now, when with his hair, he actually bumps up to about six feet. But but if without the that's hair... How, that, Matt, that's how tall you are with your hair. Out, yeah, right? yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I, I will tell you, of all the people in the league at that time, he was one of the most accessible, one of the most generous with his time. Oh, yeah. He opened up all their books and their operations and had us in for a day to shadow how they did things. Actually, Jerry Jones did the same thing. I mean, they were the everybody in this league was incredibly helpful and incredibly generous with their time and their information for us as we were getting started. So, so look, this can't be cheap. Like, I mean, cause I'm, I'm sitting here and like, we, all right. So the day today, and that's not what will reflect when you're listening to this people, but today was our episode about franchising. We were talking about the, the requirements or whatever. I can't imagine it's like opening a subway where they're like, okay, look, if you have $62,000 in your bank account and you don't have to give us exact numbers, but it, you could probably open a subway with that. They'd be cool with that. They'd be like, cool, you're liquid enough. But I mean, what kind of crap do you have to go through to own a franchise? That's the question we all want to know. And by the way, I want to own a franchise someday. It was a, uh, it was a pretty form. thorough background check, um, not just into me, but in my family okay. and my parents, my in-laws, business partners. What are they partners. looking for? Just like, just like general crap? Anything that would ultimately prove to be an embarrassment to the league. Sure. I yeah. mean, that's, and, and what could prove to be an embarrassment to the league? I don't know. You know, that's for anybody else to determine. Um, so they, it is an extensive uh, background check and extensive financial background sure. and an extensive financial commitment. I mean, it was not right. cheap, but um, it, it was also something at the time that I was very, very passionate about and very committed to. So it was willing, I was willing to take the risk. Would you share what it cost to buy a franchise? Uh, at the time? Yeah. Cause it was publicly reported. So our, our franchise expansion fee at the time was $16 million. Wow. Whew. I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. Man. Yeah. I mean, so I, did you have to line up some investors and stuff yes, to help do yeah, that? Yeah. Okay. So we had some investors, not, I mean, we needed them on top of, it, but it was more important to have partners in the community and others who had a similar evangel evangelical bent to tell their friends okay. to support us, to buy tickets, to be corporate sponsors. To, were, were the hunts part of it at all? So we went and talked to the hunts. Uh, I, I went to talk to the hunts before we ever made a commitment to try to do this because obviously they could crush us in a second if they wanted to do it. We were going to be out and we asked them, look, this is something we are trying to go forward with. Do you have plans to do this? Is it something? And, and we basically asked permission. And they said it was not on their radar screen at the time. Knock, their, uh, knock ourselves out. Go for it. And they said they would be happy to help in any way, shape they could. And they did. They helped over and over and over wow. again from well, the and, and i think we for those of you that aren't in kansas city and uh, maybe some of you are that don't know this the hunts own the kansas city chiefs and lamar senior was one of the founding members of the nfl correct he, the inventor of the nfl they also own the soccer team the in soccer kansas city, team and the yeah. local hockey team do they own the hockey team too they own a bunch of hockey teams okay. they own four mls teams and so i guess that's a great point if the hunts want to have the franchise at that point now you've stirred up interest did that make you nervous oh absolutely i, I was terrified because we now i was really excited again this was the bucket list of my life this is what i wanted to do with my life and 
all of a sudden I put in all this time and all this energy and kind of got the league interested and got a few numbers pulled together. And all of a sudden I realized, you know, with one person saying, Hey, I'd rather do this than Tyler. I was out. I mean, there was no way I was competing with the hunts. Nobody had any idea who the hell I was in this town. So, so this is a, this is the mo- one of the more interesting forms of startups that we yeah. had here on yeah. Startup Hustle. Um, so we have talked in the past that whenever you create a startup, a lot of people, especially those close to you, are often going to be like, "Dude, you're crazy. This won't work." So, how many people told you that, Tyler? There, I, I, is there a list? Pretty, yeah. It, it, I mean, the list is so long, it doesn't even, uh, you know, you couldn't fit it on a page of paper. It, everybody, everybody told us we were insane, both because we were trying to create, as you said, kind of a second tier sport, which is a challenge from a business perspective, yeah. any given, you know, anywhere. And, uh, and then also because we were competing against the NFL, and also because at the time I was 39 years old and nobody had any idea who I was, and why in the world would anybody? pay any money to buy a ticket to something that I was putting on. So were you in, were, you mentioned you were from Atlanta or Georgia and the USA version. Um, but you, were you from, had, were you living in Kansas city or did you move here with the team? I, I was living in Kansas city at the time I moved here in 1997 okay. with my wife, okay, who, is, who is a Kansas city native. That's okay. how we ended up here. Okay. So, all right. So now everyone's telling you you're crazy. They're probably saying, dude, you're going to go broke. This isn't going to work, blah, blah, blah. That's not what happened. That's, and actually the things they were telling you, that ended up being the second most crazy part of the whole process. Wait, there's more? There, the crazy part of it really gets uh, interesting. So as I mentioned, in, uh, we got this in March of 06. In August of 06, Again, now we're at this point 16 months from playing our first game. Uh, again, still just two of us in an office with a piece of paper. Had no coaches, had no players, had no names, had no nothing. Uh, Hurricane Katrina hits New Orleans mm. that August. And the New Orleans team, uh, their arena is the damaged. Superdome, yeah. Well, they, they actually played the, they played in the basketball arena, okay. which I can't even remember what it was called back then. It's have like a hundred names. It's had a hundred sponsors. Like the Smoothie King. I, actually, I think it's the like, Smoothie King right now. So, now. Yeah, good yeah, call. Yeah, Excellent. Yeah. I am a, I am a virtual gold mine of knowing arena names, by the way. Hey. Take a business, man. What are you going to oh, say? Oh, right. Perfect. Yeah, so, yeah. uh. What else do you guys need to know? You want to quiz me, Matt? No. Come well, on. What, what was, what was win, the original? Let me win my money back. Uh, wait, what was the original name in uh, Cleveland where the Cavaliers played? Before it became quick oh, and loans. Come on. That's t- See, I'm know. going old school. I don't know. Gund. It was just called Gund? Gund Arena. Yep. With, isn't that like a DT? Uh, it, no, it was George Gund was the, oh. uh, and I don't even know who he is, but that it was named after him. And, I stand uh, corrected. No, no. It's just, <laughs> you, you, you got to be old. You got to have Thanks, gray hair Tyler. like me. Thanks. I you, do. You threw the challenge me. out. I just don't have a lot of hair. Some of it is gray. <laughs> All right. So Katrina hits. So Katrina hits. New Orleans cannot play that year. Um, oh, wow. their arena is damaged. So the commissioner called me and said, if you will play a year early, we will take a million dollars off of your expansion fee. Oh, this is really sounding a lot like the XFL 
story. It like, is a little it, bit, yeah. I mean, just meaning because, you know, and do you remember the XFL, Matt? It's coming back again. Yeah, we'll see how it lasts, but it didn't even make it through a season. Right. But that was like when you – there's a really great 30 for 30 ESPN special. I'm sure you've seen it. You know, like here they are. They're like a few months before the kickoff of this. And like they're, they're saying, they're like, uh, we're in an office. We don't even have a playbook. We don't have a coach. We're not even sure we have a, a logo. It's like the fire Festival. Yeah, yes. exactly. True. <laughs> True. Very good point. I Matt. have to say, there's a few moments what, of hang, that fire festival on. story that I relate to. So. Hang on, Matt. I'm going to use the clicker for a different reason. You're getting you're getting a point here. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Congratulations. All, All right. right. So you're about to launch the fire festival. I mean, the XFL. I mean, so, they're, so they're you put a helmet own. on. Exactly. That was what it was about to come down to. That was. We could have made the team at that point. Yeah. Matt. And if you thought people told us we were stupid that we could even pull this off in any way, shape, or form. You should have seen the number of people that came out to tell us how stupid we could do this in five months. And so, but we were right. We were too stupid and we were too stupid to know we couldn't do it. So we just did it. And I will, <laughs> I will go to my grave. I, I can't imagine that I will ever have a better, I've been involved in a lot of companies where I'll ever have a better group of people and a better team than that first year front office that we put together for the brigade. The, I will I, I can never say thank you enough to the people that worked in the front office for us for that year because there was no everybody had a title, but there was no such thing as a job responsibility. There is a specific startup hustle alumnist that worked for you back then. Really? That wasn't isn't oh, that what you told me uh, earlier? Yes, sorry, forgot. Can My, you yeah. guess who that was? No idea. Would you like to answer? Yeah, you go ahead. You tell. It was Blake Miller. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and Blake was nine. What nineteen? He was nineteen. Like, yeah. I, I I asked him. He, I had him drop out of college. I had to go talk to his parents and tell him. I would swear he will go back. I will make sure he goes back. I'll even <laughs> help with some of the tuition if you let him take you know this year off. Did he go to, back? He did. Yep. Okay. Oh no, did he's, he's a graduate. I never did. Yep. No, he's okay. a graduate, and uh, God, and his parents still talk to me. So That's it's I, I figure I'm good. All right. But. Uh, so, all right. So, with five months, and that clock has got to be ticking loud at that point. So, now what's going on, man? I didn't realize there's like a super twist on this story. Yep. So, we hired a coach. We hired a who uh, was the coach? The coach was Kevin Porter, who was a former All Pro safety from the Chiefs right. back in the day, who had actually been the defensive coordinator in uh, for a team in the AFL before. So, he had a history in that. was was a great coach, but also was a great player coach. So he was able to go out and start recruiting players. Now, meanwhile, we've missed the entire free agency period for that year, which is earlier in the spring. Did they have a draft? No draft. No draft. It's just like they're out there, you sign them. And and at this point, everybody had already had their roster set. Everybody signed everybody. So we were were stuck with whatever was left over that nobody else in the league wanted. And That's just what Kansas City needed at any given time, another team that had a bunch of players that no one else wanted. Sorry, Royals. Yeah. yeah. Happened. All right. But Kevin Kevin did an amazing job of pulling people that uh that were extremely talented. So on our first roster, we had twenty four players on the roster. We had three guys with Super Bowl rings. Wow. Twenty four people on the whole entire team. The whole entire team. Because arena football was two way players. Okay. So they played offense seven? and defense. Seven on seven? Uh yes. Okay. Yeah, seven on seven. So, think okay. about that for so a second. Still not <laughs> okay, so what at the time? What did what did an average arena football player get paid? Average, I don't think it was a whole lot. No, no, no. The average like, these guys had like other jobs. Yeah. and stuff. Right. Okay. Uh, our highest paid player made one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars a year. 
And the league minimum at the time, if I remember correctly, was somewhere in the low 20s. Wow. And that was an eight-game season? And that was a 16-game season, eight home games. Oh, so same, okay. same as the NFL in terms of uh, number of games. No preseason games. But uh, Who was the, the highest-paid player? Uh, Andy Kelly was okay. our quarterback yeah, yeah. and uh, had set all kinds of records at the University of Tennessee before Peyton Manning came sure. along, was a, uh, you know, a, a arena football league legend at that point. And uh, so, so going back to this, because, all right, so now you put together this team of players and, you know, we haven't even talked about, like, you got to sell some tickets. You got to like, I mean, what was this in the news? Like, was the, was the local media like all over this, like either good, bad or ugly? Uh, the local media was incredibly supportive. They did cover it a lot, which helped tremendously. Sure. And I'll tell you, the one thing that I look back on and say was a benefit to doing it in the short run, the way we did, there weren't many, but one of them was there was a sense of urgency even in the marketplace. So, you know, it wasn't, hey, we've got this new team and 18 months from now, somebody might call you to buy a ticket. Right. It was, hey, we got this new team and call tomorrow to get tickets. And people, so it was new, it was exciting. And there was a call to action as in any other business, right. there's a call to action to be a part of it. And now people that actually, jumped on that, it. that worked out pretty well because what happened next? It, what happened next was we sold a lot of tickets. We, uh, so our first year in this, you're too stupid to ever pull this off. There's no way anybody could ever put a team and an organization together in the amount of time that you have. We ended up that year number two in ticket sales in the entire league. Wow. Uh, number two in overall revenue. Uh, we were, not good on the field, but we did all this with a three and 13 record. Um, still had the only game we did not sell out. And this is, you know, every business is a learning experience. This one was no different. We, uh, we got talked into playing uh, a nationally televised game. Every week, NBC had one game uh, on Sunday afternoons, nationally televised. And they said, hey, great. Here's your date for a home game nationally televised. We were so excited. We couldn't imagine that we were going to get Kemper Arena and our team on national television. Turns out we uh, agreed to do it on Easter Sunday. Oh, oh, so that game was a little bit sparse in attendance. But otherwise, you know, people, that makes in, sense. people in Kansas City came out and supported us. And th the one lesson that I learned from this that has taken me in every other business venture I've ever been involved in uh, was especially sports fans are not shy about telling you what they want and what they value and what's important to them and what makes the experience better. You can't base a sports team on wins and losses because that's just out of your control. You can put the best team on the field, but injuries cause it, bad calls, mistakes, whatever it is, you know, you can lose games that you're not supposed to. The Yankees don't win every year, even though they pay the most for their players. You know, it, wins and losses can't be the determining factor in your business model. You have to create an experience for the fan, just like it's got to be entertaining, right? Just like you create an experience for any other business and any other customer. And, and if you listen to your customers and especially in the sports world, if you listen to your fans, they'll tell you exactly what they want and exactly what's important to them and exactly what makes them sh open up their wallet, buy a ticket and come out and support your team. And so we just listened, you know, when we talked to season ticket holders, we weren't just selling tickets, say, all right, and what, what is it about arena football that's making you call us today and buy a ticket? What is it? What that you did want to they see? like? I'm curious. 
you know, a lot of it was back to that kind of code and, and the background of the whole league that I thought resonated in Kansas City in the first place. It was that the players were accessible. It you know you're right there on top of the action in, in arena football. You have I guess a, that's a good point. You have you a player really right next to you. Yeah. Right, you have a player. You have a fan in the front row on the wall, and the player will come over the wall, land in your lap. It's like right. being at an NBA game with that, but hitting and a lot of contact. So you got up close and personal with the players both during the game. You're a lot closer to them, and then we have mandatory uh, autograph sessions after the game so we do that at the podcast too oh good i got my pen out yeah. my sharpie today so yeah. i'm good uh now the you know so the players could go to the locker room for half an hour and after a half an hour they come out and every fan they would stand there and sign autographs fan the players the cheerleaders the coaches everybody would sign autographs until the last fan left the building that's cool that's and, great you know so the the, the league had made well, it and that'll and that'll build a connection with your fan base and absolutely players, especially like because you know there's people bringing kids to the game and stuff like that yep. so okay so the so that's year one and then you guys uh, move to a new venue the following year when the sprint center opened and yep. for, once again for those of you not listening kansas city that sprint center is kansas city's indoor you know, it holds what fifteen, twenty thousand people, depending on what you're wanting to see. And and it's a great it, facility. It was new, and what was that? Two thousand seven, two thousand eight. So you Varsity, had, it opened the Sprint Center opened two thousand seven. We were in 08. So you had to wait for Garth Brooks to do yep. seven hundred consecutive shows. <laughs> nine, <laughs> yeah, nine. And was it nine or nine. was it more? That was nine. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was yep. a lot. So and then now, did that present different challenges, or were people also excited about the new arena and the team? It, it was it both it it was you know new opportunities we had a lot of people who weren't really interested maybe in going to see a game at kemper and we gave priority to sprint center seats for people who had bought tickets at kemper so you know it helped our ability uh to to build the business and build the brand and pre-sell season tickets yep exactly so it was great there but but it also yeah it was a brand new building a whole new seating chart so you know, somebody who ha- who really liked their seats at Kemper, you know, I like where I am vis-a-vis where the field and the action is. Don't, we'll get you as close as possible, sure. but it's a different building. So I can't guarantee you're going to have the same sight line, the same access to concessions, to bathrooms, you know, whatever else. And, and, and nobody had played in that building. Nobody knew. So we were making it up as we went the entire time, uh, trying to figure out what we were going to do in terms of where we put people, where are our offices, where are the locker rooms, how are we getting people in and out of here? It was, uh, it was a whole different experience. And then you coupled it with what, what's the biggest thing about Chiefs football outside of the take away the game and the players and all that? What, is, what does Chiefs football do better than anybody else? Tailgating. Tailgating. We had a great opportunity to tailgate at Kemper. Had that huge parking yes. area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People brought their Chiefs tailgating yeah. paraphernalia to it, and and it became a tailgating experience for our games as well. But that was, had to be harder at the Sprint Center because there's like no parking lot, no I'm, such I'm thing. Going there tonight, and like, so we have a suite there, and we do networking events and stuff, and it drives me crazy because like, you know, if you don't park, we're on the Oak Street side. And everyone wants to come in on the other side of the building. And I, I see him walking down the corridor uh, uh, like, hey, if you can come join our suite and walk two miles to get to it, you'll have a great time. I, so. I can't even count the number of people who called and said, where do I tailgate? What do I do? I, you know, I, I, don't, I used to have a parking pass. Now there's yeah. no, there's no parking. What do I do for tailgating? And, and that was a real challenge. That's, t- that's really tough in Kansas City because yeah. with football, 
if you're a Chiefs fan and you're a football yep. fan and now you're yep. going to arena football, tailgating is part of the experience. That's what they knew as fo- the yes. football experience included tailgating. Yep. And all of a sudden, that was non-existent for them. So mm. it took a whole educational component to say, you're not tailgating. You don't have to stand out in the cold. You can go across the street to the Power and Light District. Yeah. You can walk from this bar or restaurant over here. Instead of you grilling out brats and burgers, somebody will bring it to your table for you. Take advantage of that opportunity. And and it resonated for a lot of people, but we lost some season ticket holders and went, you know, this isn't about the game for me. This is about the day-long experience and the tailgating, and you guys don't have that anymore. Uh, it's not for me. Matt, do you think that's what the podcast is lacking? Like a good tailgating experience prior to the show or like... I think it would help. We have a yeah. huge parking lot. We do, out here. we do. I mean, we could really accommodate. Like, and my tour really... bus, my tour bus would be good for tailgating. Why do you need a seahorse again? Yeah, well, I mean, for real. And the the the, the green is it green M and M? Yeah, green. Yeah, I ate them all. Yeah, and mangoes. Yeah, I get it. So okay, so now year two, but uh, you know, as we kind of like you know resolve this whole, this is an interesting story by the way this is a really cool thank you for coming and telling us this but you didn't own the team in the third year did you no so okay so now now uh, with every good startup we got to have the exit story and and you know this was one of those scenarios where i thought this was what i would do for the rest of my life again this was the bucket list item for me it was right. all i ever thought in my two wildest years dreams fast. two years two, would be like lightning blink of an eye yeah. now i can't i mean there's so many things that and because we were working so hard in that first year to to get everything done i i really don't have many memories of everything because it all went so fast right. it was great i have i have some very vivid ones but but not the kind of memories that i hope for i kind of wish because it just all was such a blur but the uh yeah so you get to this and and not only was this the bucket list, and not only was this something I just dreamed in my head would be the greatest way to spend a day ever, it exceeded my dreams. I mean, it was one of the just greatest experience. I, I can't I, I can't put into words what it meant to me personally, what it meant to my family. I got to share these experiences with my children who were young at the time, uh, with my wife who was very incredibly supportive, but also really enjoyed it, loved every minute of it. And then these great people that we had on staff. I mean, I to this day, again, I can't say thank you enough to every one of those people who work for us. Um, so I, I never crossed my mind I would ever do anything but this at this point. This was, I'd achieved my life goal, and I was going to do this forever. And uh, well, then what happened? I got an offer that I couldn't refuse. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, were, there was a, uh, a moment where I thought, well, maybe there are other things that I want to do with my life. But, but and, I'm uh, sensing some regret though. Like, I mean, I'm like, I'm feeling it a little bit. Like, did you do, were you picking up on that? Yeah. Now? Like I, I was kind of like, man, like, yeah. like uh, it doesn't really sound he sold like his he, baby. Well, it, it is. And, yeah. and, and listen, I, there is not a day that I don't thank God that I sold the team at that time. Cause it allowed me to do some things in my life that I probably never would have imagined I could do. And it gave me an opportunity to spend a lot of time with my children growing up, which I'm forever. Great. I, no amount of football or team or anything could ever replace the amount of time I got to spend with my children for that. So, so here but, you are, you own the team here in the second year. And then, I mean, is that how it went? Like I'll, one day the phone rings and it's like, Hey man, I think I want to buy and, your football team. And 60 days later, I had nothing to do with it. Well, that fast. That's yep. fast. Who did, who did you sell the team to? A uh, local businessman. 
um, who uh, had been is a gentleman by the name of Chris Likens, um, okay. who ended up, he also owned the uh, indoor soccer team here for a was while. The Comets? Yes. And, yeah. uh, and then owned the uh, women's soccer team that was here for a while. FC too. Kansas City. FC Kansas City. Yeah. Yep. So um they were a family that was very involved in sports uh, so now none of those teams you just well are the comets still here did they, they come they back a camp they left back? and came back I, so they by the way going to comets camps when i was a kid at kemper arena was a huge deal and, and he bought it when it came back so he oh, okay. he bought he brought the second version okay. back here and and uh i think he sold fckc is gone fckc's gone and i think he sold the comets to his partners um at the time but yes i mean but, he, but there's no arena league football team here now there's so like no what arena. happened did they move it or did it fold or did it something so, I mean, so the league uh the league took a year off at one point during the recession it, it oh, wow. there, there's a weird kind of dynamic the league was looking to go for that model that mls has which is a single entity owned where the league office managed and controlled all of the media rights, all of ticket sales, because they're, you know, a league is only as good as its weakest operators. You know, if you have bad teams in the league, the league suffers. And so the league was going to centralize uh, all of these business operations. They had a deal to, uh, to sell uh, a portion of the league to a private equity group who was going to give them the funds to do all this. And then, the recession hits um, and that was what, 2008. Yep. So this was an Oh nine take, taking a year off on your league. Yep. is probably not good. For not, a, not a good thing. Nope. And so when it came back, it was a different version of the league. Some of the NFL owners decided not to come back into the league. So your exit was actually well-timed. You, you can't even imagine. Yeah. I no mean, doubt. There is, you know, I, I'm, I can't really imagine what that, what that year where the league wasn't even open would have felt like if you owned it, like that would have been gut wrenching. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sure that this, you know, like you said, selling your baby or whatever is like, I mean, but here's the thing is, you know, checks with commas on them kind of always say money's a soft pillow. It'll help you sleep at night or something, <laughs> you know? I mean, and, and so you can get over some things, but okay. So, but, so now there's no team in Kansas city. And it didn't move. It just does not it exist. Just does not exist. Yep, unfortunately. So that so the league owns all the intellectual property, and and that's the same with all sure. leagues. The the league entity itself owns the intellectual property. So our our uh, name was the brigade. Our logo was the stealth bomber from Whiteman, and uh, the uh, now the Baltimore franchise uh, is the Baltimore Brigade. And oh, so, so they repurposed and the, uh, oh, repurposed wow. the name, and the it's not the stealth bomber anymore, but it's another plane logo. Looks Maybe uh, a UFO. Yeah, so it's you know there there is still a remnant out there of uh, of our team that we can cling to a little bit, but nope, not the same. So Matt, learn something you, new. Do you want to go halfers on the team? I'm not sure which what yet. It might be like a it might be like a youth soccer team. Or maybe badminton. The, sure. Yeah. The badminton league. Yeah. We'll play at Hyvie Arena. That we can get that taken care of. Yeah. I think we could. So, man, that's crazy. I wasn't expecting all of that. That's like a lot of ups and downs. We always talk <laughs> about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. But wow. And you so, lucked out. I mean, uh, that's the craziest part. No is doubt about out. it. There's no doubt about it. But yeah, that's, that's timing cool. Timing is important yeah. in everything you do, but especially in business. You know, you, you, you're timing for seeing the opportunities and you're timing for getting out. And, and sometimes you don't know that you did something brilliant. And, and so you like, and maybe you didn't do it on purpose, but. I, and and I will tell you, when I told it when I was out, the, uh, 
I, I absolutely in my heart and my soul and my head believe that the arena football league's best days were ahead of it. I mean, I, I truly believed that I had sold and probably sold too early and you know, oh, well, I, I did what was we, right. We don't, we don't have to get into the specifics, but I'm assuming you made money off of the sale. And so did your partners as well. We, we did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. sure. So, yeah. I mean, well, man, I learned a lot today. I learned that we need to definitely get some tailgating going on before the podcast. I feel like we get a bigger attendance. I want to give you that $60 million contract for you're going to give it to me. Yeah. But as soon as you sign it, you have to quit. I'll, okay. <laughs> I'm in, man. I'll, I, okay. I stated earlier that I didn't want a one-year contract. You give me a $60 million one-year contract. I'll take it and I'll quit at the same time. And I'll pay Tyler uh, his agent fee. All right. So, so here's the, <laughs> I'll pay you guys both a fee. Here's the great uh, thing that people maybe don't understand about the sports world too. What do you think an agent makes for, you know, representing an athlete in contract negotiations? Eight, what percentage? Four to 8%. Yeah, I was going to say 5 to 7%. Okay, so NFL is capped at 3%. Okay. And most of the other leagues are capped at 4 Sure. Um, when I was in NFL, when I was an active agent, uh, and so when you asked before about the agent business, so when I, when I bought the team, the NFL Players Association was also the union for the AFL Players Association. So I had a conflict of interest because I could potentially represent players that I also was going to hire for my team. So mm-hmm. I had to give up my agent's license and I sold, oh. I sold the representation business too. Um, but the, uh, when, when I had my agent's license, there were 1,400 licensed NFL agents at the time. To keep your license, you have to have just one player in the league. Uh, at the time, only 300 agents had an active player in the NFL at that time. So there's 1,100 agents out there who are paying their fee to the uh, NFL Players Association to keep their license, who are begging for one client, just one player who play in the league. So capped at 3%, there's 1,100 guys out there telling those players, I'll do it for 2%. I'll do it for 1%. I'll, I'll do it for half a percent. I just have to have that one player. So the, the cutthroat nature of that business is unbelievable. It is an incredible learning experience for anybody who wants to go into negotiation, client development, how do you build report? Because you're not just selling a customer. Yeah, you got to sell your client, the player himself or herself. We actually represented a fair number of female athletes at the time too. Um, but you're getting most of these kids coming right out of college. So who you got to sell when they're coming right out of college? Mom and dad. Mom and dad. Yeah. And most important, who's the most important? Probably mom. Mom. Yeah. You better be yeah. damn good with mom. And, you know, that's the world job, right? And you're selling and, and it's a different story to mom than it is to the player. That's a different story. to So you've got to be able to navigate your way through all of these different constituencies, all of these different people in the decision-making process. It's a great training. It's a brutal, difficult training ground, but it's an incredible training ground for, uh, for people who are looking to try and figure out what they're going to do with their life. It's it's a great great skill Matt, set developer. This, there's the he really just named most of the reasons I've been so nice to your mom. Yeah, just in case, just in case you're ready to sign a contract. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for if you get, you guys just Google Tyler because you can find something that's P R O C H N O W Tyler Proch now. Um, his company, his current company is subs, uh, Subscription Inc. 
And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of information out there, man. Thank you so much for coming in and talking with us about this. Um, I'm going to probably have a lot of questions when we purchase our, do we decide on badminton? Yeah, we'll go with badminton. So we're going to use all the Supreme money to, to, uh, start the league. Um, Matt, here's the thing. We have three weeks until opening day. We have to do this stuff faster than he did. Well, we can play. We're going to play badminton. Yeah, we can play. I've already sold the whole arena out. So now I did also use the company card to buy it. So I'm hoping that StubHub is going to get that listing up pretty soon. Jeez, so, please. yeah. Well, and again, anyway, see you guys next time. If you want to check us out, uh, you can visit us on Instagram at, at Startup Hustle Podcast. See you guys next time. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.